Hi, my name is Dasha Nekrasova. I am the director and co-writer of The Scary of 61st Street, and I'm on FBI radio talking to movies, movies, movies. Picture this. You're in New York, moving into a new apartment you wouldn't usually be able to afford. But something's a bit off, and it's more than just your best friend's acting skills. And then imagine that after a few days in the weird, cheap apartment, You get possessed by the ghost of one of Jeffrey Epstein's victims because the apartment you moved into belonged to him. And now you're in a low-budget feature film parody of Eyes Wide Shut and Possession running around the neon-lit wet streets of Manhattan on 16mm, masturbating on Epstein's doorway while your friend, who can't act, is going serial podcast cuckoo on the Epstein case. (laughs) Today... I have the pleasure of interviewing the host of every alt girl's favorite podcast, Red Scare, and my choice to play young Marion Williamson, Dasha Nekrasova. We're going to talk about her new film, The Scary of 61st. Plus, we have a giveaway. We have two double passes to a special screening of The Scary of 61st and a Q&A with Dasha at the Ritz this Wednesday night. If Dasha's taking on Epstein, what contemporary horror story do you want to see made into a cult movie? Text in your free movie ideas to 0409-945-945 and be sure to include your name and your supporter number. This is R911. What do you mean? I mean, it's a total paradigm shift. Red-pilled a lot of people. Open their eyes to the realities of pedophilic corruption. Do you feel like you're being watched? Are you glad the queen is sick at the moment so that she doesn't come and get you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I'm not glad she's sick. Really? I wish her reign would end, but, you know, I'm never, I, you know, I don't wish real illness on (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Also, the end of this film is dedicated to Stanley Kubrick. And I wanted to know, is it dedicated to Stanley Kubrick? I mean, I'm assuming Stan is Stanley. Are you like a Stanley Kubrick truther as well? Um, like, was he murdered? Yeah. No, I'm not. Um, just out of respect to, you know, his family. Like, if they... No, I really, I mean, I do, I find it a little bit suspicious because I think he was so diligent of a worker. Um... And like Eyes Wide Shut was not fully finished. I think like if he, you know, it's slightly implausible that he would die before he finished a project, just knowing that kind of, you know, type. But I also know he was very unhealthy and he was eating a lot of cheeseburgers and like, you know, and I, I respect his, you know, his family. And like, if they're not pursuing a truther narrative about it, then like, God bless. I feel like every director we talk to at the moment is quoting this Stanley Kubrick, this Stanley Stanley Steven Spielberg quote where he says that like to make a film you have to be fit mm, no that's not true yeah oh <laughs> you can be unhealthy and make a film I was very unhealthy when I made scary oh my god oh my god talk <laughs> about that what was the experience of making scary for you unhealthily 
Well, I was very manic and I was very stressed. I was under a tremendous amount of stress. I mean, I guess you do need a, a kind of base fitness level just to physically endure it. But I was like eating a lot of, I was eating a lot of cheeseburgers and I was really stressed out. Um, and stress is never he healthy, you know? Um, but maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe Steven Spielberg knows something, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, or I kind of see that in that moment where your character loses it about kind of bringing Noelle along for the ride and has this moment of like, what have I gotten you into? I was already doing this. And I related to that because we make films together and we do this show. And I was like, mm -hmm. do you ever feel that yeah. with like, like any of your projects? Um, I think um, people had a really good time on set. I think there's like an extra, there's there's pressures on, on directors because they're responsible for every facet, you know, of the process. But not that I didn't have, not that I didn't enjoy myself. It was like a beautiful experience to actually like produce, to shoot the movie, but um but so no you know I don't I don't totally feel that way I think mm -hmm. I'm very grateful for Ellen's time you know but I would scary at least everyone really wanted to be there partly because with my camera crew especially who worked very hard um I think shooting it on 16 millimeter you know people are very grateful for the opportunity to to work that way Spotlight. You've made Red Scare for so long now, and it means so many different things to so many different people. What does it mean to you? And like, why feature films again? Um, mm, well, I've always been in, in, you know, film. I've always been like, I was an indie actress for a long mm. time. And we started the podcast partly because you know, we didn't have a lot going on professionally and sort of felt like we didn't have much to lose, <laughs> which was what I think appealed initially to it. What does it mean to me? I mean, I love Red Scare. I love Anna. I think it's like, I think podcasts are artistic endeavors in their own way. And it's evolved over the years. And that's all kind of part of the, the project. And part of me almost feels like it's like, almost like a private conversation that's being broadcast it's not like you know it's not really punditry because it's mm -hmm. like there's something about it that is so intimate that it's almost private even though it's obviously not and then do you feel that like with feature films there was like ever a feeling of oh my god by the time we get around to releasing this the Jeffrey Epstein moment has like blown over and it's not as relevant or it's not like podcasting or it's like nostalgic in some way well that's why we made it so quickly and it has taken a while to come out, but Ghislaine's just going to trial now. But no, because I sort of, I knew that it would age regardless, obviously. Um, and that's part of the reason I made it is because I wanted to, yeah, preserve psychological experience of this particular moment being December 2019, you know? At some point, I, it probably will kind of age badly, and then it might have, like, a renaissance where people can see it in a different, in a, in a different light. Yeah, it feels like a timestamp for sure. Mm -hmm. And like, was that important to you to make it like really timed and like feel like a specific moment for you? Um, well, I actually just made it really quickly. I mean, it, it takes place in December of 2019 and we shot it in January of 2020. So it was like, and we started, you know, writing in September. So um, that was important more because I wanted the film to have this like momentum because the movie's also, you know, about Vivan. So it's mm -hmm. like, 
has this like urgency, speediness, energy. It's like being, it's like propelling forward. Um, and that all comes out of like, I think the process of making it, which was very fast, yeah. I don't want to say like Renaissance or anything, but like there's so many films being made resourcefully and quickly kind of in reaction to how out of touch the stranglehold of like mass media there is like with Netflix and like a couple of studios. Do you feel like a part of that? Yeah. In New York, there has kind of always been a tradition of, of indie filmmaking. Um, you know, going back to like Abel Ferrara and stuff, it's like, um, it's just a great city to make movies in and there's a very supportive community. And I don't know. I don't know if I feel if I feel a part of a, a milieu larger than that, but maybe. How do you feel survivors are going to react to this film or like going to get anything from it? I mean, I know a lot of survivors of pedophilia and I feel like I don't know how to recommend this film or not recommend it or talk to them about it. Well, I had a friend who was a Jane Doe in the Epstein case. Um, so she was aware of my film and we spoke a lot about it and about the Epstein stuff in general. Um, she reached out to me. I actually didn't know this about her, um, even though I had known her, you know, back in Los Angeles. Um, and when she was aware that I was sort of, cause I was initially very vocal kind of in like the Epstein truther community. So she reached out to me um, and wanted help sort of drafting like a statement because they had a press conference for, for victims to come to come forward. And I don't know how like Virginia Guffrey would will react to it. I think it really, people process their trauma in different ways. For some people, it probably will be triggering and I wouldn't recommend they watch it. But I think for others, um, they might even glean some kind of like um, satisfaction from it to see mm -hmm. the way that, you know, Betsy's yeah, totally. profession in particular is like depicted, yeah. Yeah, I feel like there is maybe some validation in seeing that mania come from like within. Uh, Julia DeCorner, who did Tatan, was just talking about like um, horror and mm -hmm. women who make horror and horror coming from within. And I wondered if you re resonated with that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, horror, I think there's a very, you know, there's a real relationship between femininity and horror and femininity and like the abject because abjection is so much about fluids and Julia DeCorno really under understands that. I mean, with sort of to circle back to your previous question, I mean, the sort of crescendo of the film takes place on Epstein's like doorstep. And we literally went to his real townhouse and Betsy like enacted this like um, possession basically that in, its own way is a kind of like rebellion. It's about making female sexuality like abject and grotesque in response to how ex exploited it is. And especially, you know, young girls, yeah. Was that cathartic? Yeah, I think the whole movie kind of had a catharsis for me at least. I think I gotta wrap it up because I'm getting told off in the chat, but um, okay. thank you so much for speaking with me. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.